0: A long time ago on a spinner rack far far away the comic book time machine presents marvel's cosmic comics exploring marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the star wars period <laughs> Episode 14, Star Wars, number three. Hello, time travelers, I'm Ben Avery. And there's a Star Wars comic sitting over there. There's a time machine sitting over there. I'm sitting right here. You're sitting right there or standing right there or walking or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, All those elements put together must mean we are ready for another episode of the comic book time machine podcast. I am here to talk about comic books, specifically comic books from the 70s, specifically sci-fi comic books from the 70s, specifically Marvel sci-fi comic books from the 70s, specifically Marvel sci-fi comic books from the 70s that were licensed to be published during the time that Star Wars was licensed to be published. So we are talking from 1977 to 1986, almost a decade of comics. We have not even gotten past the first year, but that's okay. That's what we're here to do. We're here to plug along and move forward reading Star Wars month by month. And along with it, the other books that Marvel was putting out that were licensed from either toys, other movies, or other things. Books, maybe. And maybe, well, I'm not going to say. Uh, There is a special, special new series that comes out this month from Marvel, uh, this September 1977 cover date month, but um, it's it's out there. It's cool. It's happening. It's hip. I guess, <laughs> but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you what it is. You're just gonna have to wait. Stay tuned to this feed, and you'll find out when we get there. And I think I'm going. To, I, I'm doing a better job this week. Uh, keeping a Secret, than I did with Godzilla, because I put Godzilla in the title. With this one, it was a pleasant surprise to me, and it just might be a pleasant surprise to you. As I've told you before, I have two short long boxes that have comic books in them. And they also have a couple omnibuses that I'm reading the comics from for some of the series. And in those long boxes, I have... Uh, the poly bags, the, the bags you would normally use to keep your comic books safe. Each of these bags has a slip of paper that has a printout of what I wish I get that month. So like for this one, September, 1977 cover date, uh, 2001, space Odyssey, number 10, star Wars, number three, John Carter, number four, and Godzilla. Number two, it tells me the release dates, tells me the um, cover date. And then I also have the issues put into those bags. Now, Uh, For John Carter, Godzilla, and Star Wars, Omnibuses. 2001, I have the issue. And then I had a series that I discovered after I did the printouts. And I wasn't going to include them until I was at a convention. And I was looking around and I found them super cheap. And I thought, you know what? They're super cheap. They fit the licensing. And so I put them in. In the months that they were supposed to go into. But they weren't on the printout, and so I completely forgot that I'd even done that. So when I pulled this bag out of the box, I had one of those pleasant surprises that I've been waiting for, and it happened here in what the fourth episode of doing this. <laughs> it was very, it was very fun. I really hope that you enjoy it as much as I do, uh, just because of the um, the novelty of it. Let's put it that way. So uh, we're gonna start though with Star Wars number three. So I'm gonna go ahead and and play the sounder, and we'll get started with our our first part. Yeah. Part 1. I've got a bad feeling about this. So, on the spinner rack, for $0.30, you could buy Star Wars issue number 3. The first issue published after the movie hit theaters. Uh, Just to quickly, we'll go ahead and start with the credits here. Roy Thomas is the scripter and the editor on this. Howard Chaykin and Steve Lealoha are both credited as artists slash illustrators. The colorist is someone credited as simply Leia, which I found to be kind of funny. Um, I did mention last week uh, or last episode that we did the sci-fi stuff. Uh, Steve Lealoha looks like it's Princess Leia's name and spelled like that. And then L-O-H-O is or L-H-A is attached to the end of that. So it's Leia Loha or Lee Aloha. And I don't know much about Steve Lealoha. Uh, but he is also apparently the colorist on issue three here. Although I don't think, and I'll we'll get into it toward the end of this part, I don't think he was the only colorist on this book. And then we have someone credited as simply Orz, O-R-Z, as the letterist, and that's Tom Orkachowski. And um, he, I believe, was a letterer on the uh, What If uh, issue that I covered recently. Now, going into the comic book itself, the title is just plain... Death Star. That's the title of this issue. Uh, This issue opens with a splash page. And I don't necessarily... I mean, other than the fact that I do mention, you know, Darth Vader is hard to draw. And there are sometimes some other characters that are hard to draw as well. But I I don't really talk about the art too much. I, I tend to talk about the storytelling. But in this case, this page is a striking, striking page. It is a great page that just has... It, you could use this as a textbook example of layout and design for a splash page. And uh, actually, who knows? Maybe they already have. Okay, But we open with this dramatic splash page of Grand Moff Tarkin asking Leia to betray the Rebel Alliance. He's threatening to destroy Alderaan with the Death Star. In the center of the page, we do have two caption boxes that are are wordy, but it's the story so far, telling us about all the the, the Rebel Alliance and the Empire and the Death Star and the and what they are and and where we are Alderon, the planet of Alderon, and who um Leia is. She's Princess slash Senator Leia. But then you also have just direct center of this page is a circle. It's the planet Alderaan. and that is where your eye goes it just goes right to the center of the page now if it doesn't the largest figure on the page is a stormtrooper on the right side and he's holding his gun his gun where's it pointing it's pointing at Alderon. darth vader is the second largest presence on the page as far as people characters go and he is standing so he is facing even though uh based on his position he's not looking at Alderon. but his eyes his face are facing Alderon. And so you have all these things that are drawing your eye right there to Alderaan. And then when you're looking at Alderaan, you see the first word balloon. No, it's Princess Leia saying no. And your eye then goes and follows her dialogue right down to her and then over to Grand Moff Tarkin. Now Grand Moff Tarkin is pointing at Princess Leia and his head is actually touching the planet Alderaan. So if your eye is not looking at the letters, if you're not looking at the words, you're following Stormtrooper's gun on. there's Darth Vader along the side, Grand Moff Tarkin, you follow, and then Grand Moff Tarkin is pointing at Princess Leia. And so you have all these elements that are just drawing the eye perfectly. And I never really appreciated this until I was doing my book, Armor Quest, and I was talking to the artist who was also the letterer on that book. And he was explaining how he would design his pages, how the eye goes down the page. And now I've taken these things and I've kind of internalized them or tried to internalize them. I'm not as good as Sherwin. I never will be as good as him. But I I have lettered books now. Since then, I'm not just a professional comic book writer. I'm also a professional comic book letterer. And I look at a page like this, and I just think there is so much to learn, just about you know the way the eye travels down the page, starting with the bold letters of the Death Star, going down the stormtrooper, following his gun till Princess Leia's dialogue to Grand Moff Tarkin. It's just, it's a really, really, really good page. And I'm not going to do that kind of thing with every page of every book, because if I did, this podcast would be way, way, way too long. But when I do come across a really great example, I do think I want to spend some time talking about that because this is something that can be learned from if you are a comic book artist, comic book letterer, or even a comic book writer. I mean, there's a lot to learn here and it just, it's a striking page. If nothing else, uh, I find myself looking at the splash page and just thinking, this is a really, really solid page. There's a lot of metaphorical things going on. The stormtrooper standing with his gun, Alderaan is on a screen on the wall. And so his gun is not actually pointed at Alderaan, but it's a metaphorical thing. And yes, Alderaan is under the gun right now. And so is Princess Leia. And as we all know the story, if you've seen the movies, Princess Leia, they're trying to tell her, tell us where the rebel base is. She says no, and they say, if you don't tell us, we're going to blow up your planet with your family and your friends. And so that's where she says, you know, it's on Dantooine. And they say, oh, okay, well, fire, because Dantooine is too far away to make any kind of, um, you know, splash. If they're going to try and use the Death Star as an example to the the people of, of the universe here. Now, looking at the next page, we do see that Darth Vader is still hard to draw. But there is a panel here of Grand Moff Tarkin. That is brilliantly drawn. Peter Cushing in this panel looks great. And he fills the whole panel. It's that third panel. And he just has this look on his face. Of just complete ambivalence. I don't care one way or the other. That I'm giving the order to destroy your planet. And honestly, Princess Leia. You should have never said a word. Because now we're going to blow up your planet. And we're going to blow up the rebel base. But uh, that panel. There's just one balloon one word balloon of dialogue that that's the famous line. You are far too trusting and that page ends with another dramatic panel, half a page. Almost the entire panel is this monitor showing Alderaan blowing up. And then along the bottom, these tiny figures, barely silhouettes looking up at this monitor, watching it happen. You see princess Leia there right toward the middle. You. It's just a silhouette, but you can still see the emotion, you know, she's, she's hurt. She's shocked. And <clears throat> so these two pages, I, I was looking at them and I was like, oh, these are, this is really good storytelling. And then I realized something. We don't ever see the Death Star. We don't see the Death Star do the blowing up. We don't even see really what is blowing up this planet. It's just blowing up that he gives the order to fire and it explodes. And in the movie, this was a big deal. This is a big deal. You see a power up, you see it shoot. It's one single beam and you see the planet just be destroyed. Uh, so here, no, uh, that's why, again, I would say this is effective, but this isn't perfect. Moving on. Then we have the next scene where we get um, to some tropes with uh, normal monthly comic book storytelling as we move into the millennium falcon where we have the scene with the chess playing and the practicing with the lightsaber and you have <laughs> there's some kind of awkward dialogue going on here and mainly it's to name check things uh all the rod explodes and then you the next uh page the next panel ben kenobi is groaning and luke skywalker says to him <laughs> ben kenobi are you all right And that's where Ben does his lines about you know I felt a sudden great, uh, in in here in the comic it's an ebbing in the force, not a disturbance in the force. But you know he name checks Luke. You know I felt a sudden great ebbing in the force, Luke. And then Luke says to him, "Um, "The Force? You mean that thing you talked about—the energy that's given out by all living things? You know, just in case." just in case Ben didn't know what Luke was asking about when he said the force. Um, <laughs> of course we, the readers still need to be told here. And this is where we're kind of getting into their name checking things. And that's where the, every comic could be someone's first comic. And this is still issue number three of star Wars. Star Wars. The movie has only been out a few weeks when this issue came out originally. And how could they know that they wouldn't have to define the force necessarily <laughs> because You know, in just a month's time, people all over the world are going to be saying to each other, may the force be with you. Everyone and their mother. My mother knew. She didn't say it, but um, she knew what it meant because she had a little kid who knew what it meant. And so, but here they're defining things. They're dropping names. They're making sure you know who you're looking at. They're making sure you know all these concepts and stuff like that. And so uh, this is a comic book thing. You have to do this in, in any kind of storytelling. There are... Um, you know, TV shows that I'll try and get into and I can't because they don't let me know what's going on. And so that that's good that they're doing it here. The problem is uh, when you are reading it and you're so familiar with it, it just kind of sticks out. So anyway, um, Ben answers Luke's question. He says, yes. <laughs> Doi. Um, he says, it was like the cry of a billion beings stopping at once. It was a feeling of death. So, again, this comic script is based on early drafts. And I was surprised to find out that when I was researching this with the annotated screen annotated screenplay, that Ben actually originally was fainting in this scene, in some of the earlier drafts. And they kept getting less and less dramatic. And um, I think the word they used was less and less soap opera-like until we got to the actual line of, of dialogue from Ben Kenobi, which I really... I, this this is fine here on the page here, but I really prefer the actual dialogue that they ended up with because it's it's just a classic line. And it's a perfect line, uh, and there's a lot of those kind of nuggets of lines here in the Star Wars movies. I, whatever you want to say about George Lucas, in this situation, um, maybe he had the right people reading it and giving him suggestions, or maybe he just was in a different headspace. But he had some really really good lines in this in this whole in this whole movie in this whole screenplay. And that original line um, is, uh, I felt a great disturbance in the force, as if millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. I feel something terrible has happened. And um, that, of course, then reminds me of the line in Hardware Wars, which came out, which is one of the first spoof movies I ever saw. And that's where, you know, Ben comes the the Kenobi characters, oh, and they said, What's the matter? Did you feel a great disturbance in the forest as millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror were suddenly silenced? Ben says, No, just a little headache. So if you haven't seen Hardware Wars, by the way, find it. Find it, watch it. It is worth watching at least once. Um uh, my favorite is uh Chewy the Cookie. Uh, he's he's just a brown cookie monster, perfect looks like a perfect Cookie Monster clone. Anyway, this is also the scene with the chess game between uh, R2-D2 and Chewbacca with the I've got another strategy, R2-D2, let the Wookiee win line. Um, In that original screenplay, it simply says Chewie begins yelling at the tiny robot, which uh, Roy Thomas then interpreted uh, as either Kronk! Kronk! or garonk, garonk. It's hard for me to tell. I can't tell if it's supposed to be a G or a C there because of the the lettering and kind of the... It's kind of a muddied... Uh, maybe I should look at my other volume, but um, I'm looking at the this muddied comic book printed page. And then we also have Luke doing the the, the uh, training with the, the floating globe and his lightsaber. And, and there's slight changes, um, slight variations on what we actually saw in the movie, but overall I mean you're watching what happens in the movie now there are some interesting uh, sound effects there too when Luke finally hits the the globe with his lightsaber it's forp Um, I just I look at that and I I know it's supposed to be some sort of really scientific you know sounding kind of thing but I just I look at that and I just think forp forp and it's just the geekiest sounding Jedi training that I guess you could have uh but anyway one other note about this scene is just that these characters with rare exceptions do not look like the actors when when i'm looking through here Uh, c-3po looks okay chewbacca looks okay uh but the the actors do not look like the i mean the characters do not look like the actors now i'll also say this though has someone who's read a number of star wars comic books they look like the characters. I mean, Han Solo feels like Han Solo. Luke Skywalker feels like Luke Skywalker. And I do know that later on in the comic, we're going to be getting into situations where artists are really not, you know, using models and using photo reference for these characters. But this is a case right here where I think that there's photo referencing going on, but it just feels rushed. And it just feels like the art is, is just being rushed. So... We then get to the scene where they arrive to Alderaan, which is destroyed. There's a small moon nearby, but they, of course, say that's no moon. It's a space station. And, again, we've got some good tension here. And we have some good – the panel layouts are interesting. Um the panel, right as they're being pulled in, and you see the Death Star. This is where we finally see the Death Star. You have these vertical panels that are used to, to bring the Death Star closer as the Millennium Falcon is moving away from us. And so as the Millennium Falcon gets smaller, the Death Star gets bigger. And this is where we also finally get that line, I've got a bad feeling about this. Spoken by C-3PO. Because even though we don't see him, um, it's a yellow dialogue balloon which i haven't talked about but c-3po's lines tend to be in gold his balloons tend to be in gold and also tend to be um squares with rounded corners you know because he's a he's a robot and so c-3po gets the line and and as they're being pulled in you turn the page they're getting worried and bam That page is just a full splash page of the Death Star. Just taking up the entire page with a tiny Millennium Falcon. Which I'll also say is not in scale. Um, The Death Star is much bigger compared to the Millennium Falcon than what we're seeing here. But it's dramatic. It's a great page turn. I love when you come across a really wonderful page turn. And this is probably the best that we've had in Star Wars so far. And... <clears throat> so we're we're moving fast though through the, the story we're getting through all the familiar beats. Um, Han and Luke take uh, uniforms from people who come to to uh, check out the space the Millennium Falcon. Uh, then they take over the control booth where Chewie gets another. This is this is his nomination this week for best sound effects. Now it's not his grunt. His grunt is Nurk! It's spelled N-R-R-L-K, and I'm just going to assume that you pronounce it like this. But, um, no, it's his slap. He hits this officer, and the sound effect is flap. T-H-L-A-P, flap. Again, I, I just love it. Now, the next page, we have another one where it's garoo. Uh So, maybe guru should be... Well, I'm going to go with flap for... Uh, the nomination and, and at the end of the episode i'll i'll, I'll give you the, uh, the the winner for for best uh sound effects in, in my opinion but um yeah uh, guru is close it's close so like i said we're, we're going through the beats here ben goes off to uh dismantle the tractor beam um i do <laughs> i do wonder and i just had this thought uh, does the death star maybe have more than one tractor beam He's going and he's shutting down the tractor beam, but it's a pretty... I mean, it's the size of a small moon. Uh, You'd think that there'd be more than one tractor beam where they could actually use it to bring them back in. But maybe... maybe, I don't know. Just a thought. Uh, And I do understand there are some plot developments that would give them reason not to use the other ones. but uh, So yeah, Ben goes off. R2-D2 realizes that Princess Leia is there. Han and Luke argue about whether or not they should help her or not and and han is not going to do it until luke dangles money in front of him not literally but you know dangles the uh the promise of money rather and that's where they pretend that that chewbacca is a prisoner and off they go and they they get in the fight at the cell block as they're trying to to trick them oh a note about the trickery though um when they come to bring Chewbacca into the cell block, they, the, the guard says, uh, what are you doing? Where, where are you going with this thing? And the line in the comic is, prisoner transfer from block TH-138. And I believe in the movie, it's uh, prisoner transfer from cell block uh, 1138. And both of those are references back to George Lucas's earlier sci-fi movie, THX-1138. So anyway... Uh, They get in the fight. There's lots of sound effects suddenly. You have lots of uh, Chewbacca's growling and lots of zapping and zipping and to zipping and zerking and frap. There's, I mean, there's just plenty of sound effects, but it's a pretty exciting and well-drawn fight scene. Uh, It's interesting because Luke and and Han are still in their their Stormtrooper outfits, but they do a good job of helping you follow the action. And uh, there's a lot of... Uh, big, dramatic uh, explosions and people throwing their arms out as they're getting shot in the back and that kind of thing. So it, it's dynamic, it's energetic, it's exciting, and it's almost I'm, well, no, it is. It's what the pro- the the cover promises: battle on the Death Star. The only difference is on the cover, uh, Han, Luke, and Princess Leia are all firing blasters, and Luke has a lightsaber that he's swinging on the cover. Um, we obviously, if you've seen the movie, you know that that doesn't happen, but it does. It promises battle on the Death Star and we get that in spades here. It, 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 I think it's well done. I think it's well done. Finally, we get Princess Leia. They they open her, uh, her cell door. They use the, the blaster key to open it up. And I just want to note that on the next to last page, there is a great representation of Carrie Fisher here. Again, I think we're looking at Steve Lealoha just getting a chance to look at um, the photo referencing and that kind of thing. Because that it's the final panel on that page, and it looks like Carrie Fisher. It's really, really nice. And it's another one of those panels where it's just, you know, her face is just taking up the entire panel. So it ends with them trapped. They are shooting. They are fighting. They have nowhere to go. Luke Skywalker is shouting into his com link 3PO, where are you? And the caption box tells us, but Luke Skywalker's only answer is the blast of the troopers lasers coming closer. Closer. Next issue, Ben Kenobi versus Darth Vader to the death. So... I guess the big question here is if this wasn't a Star Wars comic, would I be interested? Would I want to return and find out what happens next? And honestly, this is a fun read. It's a breezy read. I'm enjoying myself. And I think if this was not Star Wars, if these were not characters I knew about for my entire life, there is enough good going on here to keep me interested. Now, it's not perfect. It feels like this is a rush job here. The first two issues didn't feel that way so much for me, but this one definitely feels that way. In doing my research then, I found out that, that I probably am right. And the proof that it was rushed kind of comes from the same source where I discovered that Steve Aloha was not responsible alone for the colors on this book. This comes from an email that Carl Gafford sent to Roy Thomas, that Roy Thomas used in his article about the origins of the Star Wars comics and that Alter Ego issue number 68. Now, Carl Gafford was not listed in the credits for this issue, but he says, I was brought in to help Steve Lealoha by doing the coloring. The last page of the first issue I got to color was the splash page of issue two, which picked up immediately after issue one. Isn't this issue three, I asked? It looks like it takes up right after issue one. No. It's issue two, he said, to which I sputtered, but but issue one is already on the stands on a monthly comic. That's cutting it pretty tight. Um, Now, I mentioned also that Roy Thomas, he wanted to do this in six issues and said that was the only way that it was going to work. Uh, Ed Shukin was someone who was against that. He was the circulation director of Marvel, and he was not happy about this arrangement. He wanted to do it in two issues. And um, he. It was something that he and Roy Thomas were would fight about and did fight about. Roy Thomas won the fight because basically he sat back and said, uh, look, if you want me to do this Star Wars thing, we're doing the Star Wars movie in six issues. Not two. And if you don't want me to do it, then go ahead and, and do it in two. Try it in two. And he had the upper hand here. I mean, Lucasfilm had asked for him directly, and he didn't need this job. He had Conan, he had Red Sonya, he had other books that he was working on and was very successful and, and popular with. So he didn't need this job. If he wanted, if he was going to do the job, he wanted to do it right. On the other hand, I can see Ed Shukin's point too. I mean, think about it. Two issues gets it out before the movie, but it also minimizes risk in case the movie is a flop. And, you know, yeah. After the t- those two issues, if it's a success, then yeah, go ahead, do more. But uh, two issues gets it out, gets it done, and it gets it done quickly without much risk. Of course, then, they, they kept Roy Thomas on it, as we know, because we're sitting here reading these. It went to six issues. And of course, the risk was very real, but as we know, Roy Thomas was proven correct. I'm going to read from the the article again as he uh, kind of gloats about his, his uh, conflict with, with Ed Shugan. Only days before the movie was to open, Ed Summer was up at Marvel on comic shop business and ran into circulation director Ed Shukin in those hollowed halls. The latter was still shaking his head about the Star Wars comic, and the former later phoned me to tell me that he'd said Marvel was, quote, going to take a bath on it. Of course, at that time, neither Ed Summer nor I could be certain he wasn't right, in which case 20th Century Fox would probably be going over a waterfall. As we'd all learn later, the two issues of Star Wars which had gone on sale before the opening... I believe number three on sale around the time of the premiere had sold quite well. A better percentage sale, though probably of a low print run since Shukin had little faith in the comics possibilities than most of Marvel's titles. I seem to recall seeing a figure of 57% pretty good at the time since 20th had done relatively little advanced publicity for the film. Contrary to the mythology since this healthy sale was due to a combination of advanced word of mouth about the movie among sci-fi and comics fans. Plus the look and feel of the Thomas chicken mag itself. Ed Shukin had lost his bet with himself. They they struck gold. I mean, this was a this is why Roy Thomas's article is called "Star Wars: The Comic Book That Saved Marvel." It's not exaggeration. So one other thing I wanted to bring up, and that is going back to Howard Jacobson a little bit here. I was flipping through a back issue magazine of mine, uh, back issue number ten, and I found an article, uh, an interview that is relevant to things here. It's an interview with Howard Jacobson, and he actually again speaks out about um, his time. On, on the Star Wars comic book. They ask him, uh, now, when you did Marvel Comics Star Wars, the movie hadn't broken yet. When you were working on it, did you have any idea where it was going to go, how big it was going to be, or was it just another job? the answer that he gives is I was in Burbank in 75 before the picture came out and they were doing the post work. And I went to the post studio and met with George Lucas and Marshall Lucas. And I guess it was with Gary and the whole bunch. And I walked away from that with a box of 4,000 stills. They were great on set stills and the MacQuarie portfolio, the Ralph MacQuarie material, the stills were incredibly dead and inert. They looked like a high school science project. What freaked me out was when I saw the film, because I saw it a week before it opened at a special screening in New York City, was the film ended up looking like the Macquarie paintings. And that was the most profound effect, that they managed to do all the work in post. It's a tribute to what was done to that film after it was shot. And I'm not talking about the added scenes and digitizing. I'm talking about what was done in the 1970s. So I had no idea. Had I known, I probably would have worked harder on it. (laughs) I still haven't gotten over the resentment of the fact that it existed in the pre-royalty times. So I got chump change for those books. So anyway, that's uh, back to Howard Chaykin and and his work there. So um, I did find uh, my Monarch Star Stalker comic that Howard Chaykin did, and I'll probably be talking about that in the next episode um, that Monarch Star Stalker was a Marvel premiere issue that came out the same uh, month actually as Jack Kirby's 2001 Treasury and 2001 uh, Space Odyssey number 10 is going to be what we end up talking about in the next next episode. So we uh, yeah next episode will be saying goodbye to Jack Kirby for a little while maybe or maybe we are just done with him. I don't know. I have an idea for some things that might fit into uh, the follow-up of some of the licensed things that we're we're talking about here. But for now, this is the end of the the Star Wars coverage, and we'll be doing 2001 next episode. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. 2001, A Space Odyssey, issue number 10, the final issue.